Midianites were a Bedouin people. They moved around. Um, they'd occupy parts of the land, uh, the promised land of, of Israel, uh, particularly at harvest time. And they'd steal the food, basically. Uh, they'd oppress the Israelites. Um, and it had been going on for seven years. For seven years, their harvest had been taken from them. Their livestock had been taken away. They were hiding in the hills and in different areas. Imagine the state of the people. Imagine living in those circumstances. How would you feel if that happened to you? Driven out, periodically anyway, driven out of your homes, of where you live, having all the food taken, and not being able to do much about it. There are people in the world who live in similar circumstances today. It still happens, things like that. We meet Gideon threshing the harvest. So at least he's managed to get some of it. But he's doing it in a wine press. He's doing it in a pit in the ground. Now when you thresh um, the grain like that, what they did was they beat it a bit, throw it in the air, and the wind would blow through it, take away the um, chaff, and the, the decent grain would, would settle. It was heavier. Try doing that where you need wind in a pit. doesn't really work very well, but it shows you something about the desperation of Gideon and of the people uh, with him the fear of being discovered, that he's even willing to try and do this. It's, it's better than the alternative. He's in hiding. And God turns up. And when Gideon says, look, how on earth, you know, what's happened to all of this? Why isn't God doing something? God says, I am doing something. I'm going to send you. But Lord Gideon asked, how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I'm the least in my family. And the Lord answered, I will be with you, and you will strike down all the Midianites together. Probably talking hundreds of thousands. You will strike down all the Midianites together. Gideon actually probably wasn't that poor in human terms, not compared to some of the other people around him. In in verse 27, we see that he's got at least 10 servants, probably more. But he's obviously someone who doesn't feel up to this task. Um, He's in shock. Um, He's terrified of the Midianites, or he wouldn't be hiding in a pit trying to thresh grain. He has a low opinion of himself. He, He thinks he's the lowest of the low. He couldn't possibly be of use to God. His relationship with God isn't that great either. He doesn't believe that God is with them, with him personally or with the people. He's not some spiritual great. He's not got a good relationship with God. Not a promising start. Before we go any further, I want you to think about the sort of qualities you would expect someone to have that God was calling to do something great. What do you think about a person that 
not a specific person, but just the type of qualities in a person that God can use. Mm. All these different things that, you know, this is what we expect a person that God uses to be like. How much better do you feel you have to be personally? How much better do I have to be for God to be able to use me? Constantly striving to reach some goal that will make us good enough, will make us faithful enough, will make us spiritual enough, able enough, in whatever respect, to be able to serve God. Now look at Gideon. Look at the type of person he was. He might have had a few things, certainly by the regards of um, others in, in the same situation. He might not have been that poor. He was okay. He's frightened, though. Low self-opinion, low self-worth, fear, lack of faith, lack of a decent relationship with God. You see, it's not about the person's abilities. It's not about their emotional or spiritual state. It's not about their talents. It's about the sovereign God. It's about the Lord Almighty and who he is. And that's something we're going to keep coming back to in this story of Gideon. Now, he goes on. And the next step is, is guidance. Do you ever... Do you ever wish that, I don't, I don't know, when you've got decisions to make, when there are things that you're not sure which way God wants you to do things or go for, for something, it can be a difficult thing to know how God's directing. Um, some people seem to find it easier than others. And, but you can look at the same situation. You know. I don't know if you've ever done this. This wasn't something I was going to say, but I just remembered it. And I've been in situations where people have said, Everything's going right. Everything's going well. It's clear that the Lord is with us in what we're doing. And other people who've gone, everything we do is going wrong. Everything is, is, we touch doesn't seem to work. It's clear that Satan is attacking us because we're doing the right thing for God. And you're thinking, yeah, you can take both of those opinions, really, can't you? It can be really hard to tell. Wouldn't it be great if God just showed up or sent an angel and he stood there and he told you what to do? Wouldn't that be wonderful? And that's exactly what he's done with Gideon. And, God, and Gideon's reaction? I want proof. Show me that this is true. There's an angel standing in front of him, telling him what to do and what's going to happen. And he goes, I want proof. And I won't read it to you now, but he goes and gets the, um, the bread and food to offer to this stranger and in a way, the stranger says, yep, get it, but I'm not going to eat it. Put it on a rock. And he brings down fire, and it becomes a burnt offering. And the angel ascends in it, disappears in it. So Gideon gets his proof, and then he is completely freaked out. He is terrified. This really was God. God has spoken to me. I I'm going to die. 
he's not exactly a spiritual giant, is he? He's not exactly one of these people who's really sure of themselves and who hears God speaking and goes and does it that we hear about and read about. And he's, let's be honest, he's more like us. He's more like me anyway. It's interesting how the story goes on. The first thing that, um, when he's been reassured that he's not going to die, the first thing that he does is he has to go and address the root problem. The problem is them, not the Midianites, it's them not worshipping God. It's them letting other things in front of him. And the first thing he has to do is deal with idolatry. Deal with the idolatry. Not the idolatry of the nation and of everything around him, though that's there and that's a huge problem. But in his own household, in his own village, God says, go and get rid of those idols and start sacrificing to me instead. And all credit to Gideon, he goes and does it, and he does exactly what I probably would do. He went and did it at night so no one could tell it was him. That's what God tells him to do, you see, and he takes his servants and he, he does it, but he's frightened again. He doesn't do it out in the open. He hides. And just because God's telling you to do something doesn't mean that it's all going to go swimmingly all the time. Even though he'd done what God had asked, albeit covertly, he was in serious trouble when the people found, found out. He was in danger of being killed for it. And if it wasn't for his father's quick thinking, um, basically saying, Balkan can't handle it himself, what kind of God is he? He would, would have been in trouble. Things don't always go wonderfully just because we're doing the right thing by God. It's not a promise that they will. Now, I'm going to guess that there's a, a gap in the narrative, if you've been following it um, in the Bible, because the next thing we know, Gideon pretty much has uh, 32,000 soldiers with him. It's, uh, I'm, I'm guessing that he did a few things in between uh, that and, and the next bit. But do you notice how that it's only after he's dealt with the idolatry and he's made a step in the right direction that the Spirit of God comes upon him in real power. The Spirit of God comes and helps him. Thirty thousand, thirty-two thousand troops with him is pretty impressive. It doesn't actually give the number just just there if you're if you're following. It's, it's a bit later. You can work it out. But um, how many he's got with him? Maybe he's led some successful raids. I don't know. Um, Maybe he's had one or two little skirmishes with the Midianites. Maybe not. But he's obviously known among the Israelites because they wouldn't have gathered to him otherwise. He's got a bit of a reputation now. And it looks like he's got a bit of a reputation among the enemy as well because not only the Midianites, but the Amalekites and other nations to the north all gather together and they form a joint army. Israel is actually worse off than it was before. Rather than a few raiders and a few people coming in and squatting on their land, they've joined forces against Israel. And if you read on, we've got to the point where um, Gideon's realising that he's actually being called to go and attack these, these people. And he wants reassurance again. The Golden Fleece episode, not the Golden Fleece, that's Jason and the Argonauts, completely different story, I'm talking rubbish. 
the fleece, laying the fleece. Um, where he, he asks God, says, look, look, I want you to perform this little miracle just to prove that you're really going to do what you said. Do you remember a time in the church a while ago, it became quite fashionable to lay fleeces, like it was a spiritual thing to do. Um, you laid a, f- a fleece and it was a spiritual way of discovering what God's will was. And, you, know, you asked God to, to give you a sign in some way, whether he wanted you to do this or that. And, and um, it's irrelevant, irreverent to say that these sort of things do to go in fads in the church. Um, but um, I've actually got a diary entry here um, from someone, from the actual time it was happening, that I thought I'd read to you. Um, it's um, taken from the diary of one um, Adrian Plass. If you've, uh, yeah, a few of you have heard of him. It's set around Christmas, Sunday, December the 4th. I signed Edwin's carol singing list for sat- next Saturday to show that I'm not all bad. Gerald's coming too. Monday, December the 16th. My son Gerald says James Bond is on next Saturday evening. Pity it clashes still. Carol singing is the Lord's work. Tuesday, December the 17th. Dreamt last night that I was James Bond. Wednesday, December the 18th. Is carol singing scriptural? Rang Doreen Cook's husband, Richard, who thinks Christmas trees are wrong. No luck, apparently it's okay. Thursday, December the 19th. Could it be that God's trying to say that I should watch James Bond? Open my Bible at random and put my finger on the page. It said, the dogs licked up the blood. Went to bed. I don't understand God sometimes. Friday, December the 20th. Laid a fleece. If a midget in Japanese Admiral's uniform came to the door at 9.04 precisely, I would know that God wanted me to carol sing. 9.05. A miracle. No one came. That's that then. Now, obviously, God does speak to people in ways like that sometimes. Not with a midget, unless you know different. You can tell me afterwards. But um, God does speak to people through fleeces at times, through circumstances, um, through different ways. I don't want to diminish that. Um, he did to Gideon. <laughs> you see, he did speak to Gideon like that. He, uh, he answered him twice. But look at what Gideon was really doing. He already knew what God wanted him to do. God had sent an angel and told him. Then God had done this miraculous thing with the food and the offering to prove that it really was an angel. The incident with the fleece was a cry for reassurance. He might have been filled with the Spirit in an unusual way. He might have had an army of 32,000 follow him after being a scared person hiding in a pit. But Really, Gideon is still that scared person hiding in a pit that God called. He's actually asking God for a sign to prove God will do exactly what God has just said that he will do. And he, already, he knows that. Gideon said to God, if you will save Israel by my hand, as you have promised, he knows that God has promised to do that. Look, I will place a wall fleece in the threshing floor. He, he starts off saying, look, I know you've promised to do it. He's really saying to God, I know you've promised to do this, but are you really going to? 
And I can identify with that, to be honest. I go through phases like that. I know God has promised something. I know God has said this. I know that's true. And I still say, God, can you just prove it for me? Could you just show me again? And I could be wrong, but I'm guessing I'm not the only person here who's like that, who can identify with, with poor Gideon. The fleece isn't a sign of Gideon's faith or spiritual greatness. It's a sign of his doubt and his weakness. Do you think that once someone is properly spiritual and obedient, things automatically get easier? That you won't have doubts or worries? Certainly wasn't the case for Gideon. Yet he's one of those people that's commended for their faith in that list in Hebrews 11. He's someone remembered for his faith. But it's the type of faith that did things despite being scared. It did things despite being frightened. Fears, doubts and worries. Does that make Gideon a lesser man? Or does it make him a greater one? To do the right thing, to to go through with something, even though you have all those doubts. Anyway, God graciously reassures him. He does those things. God knows what he's like. He knows what he needs. He does it twice, in fact, if you're reading the story. Right. God says, go for it. You can do it. I'll be with you. Gideon is finally convinced. He's psyched up now. He has 32,000 soldiers with him. Okay, it's not as many as the enemy by a long shot, but it's a good start. He's ready. Then God said to Gideon, you've got too many men for uh, me to deliver you from the Midians. You've got too many men. Tell anyone who's scared, they can go home. Not you, Gideon, the others. Anyone who's scared can go home. 22,000 left. 22,000 left. How do you feel if you were Gideon at that point? But the Lord said to Gideon, there's still too many men. Take them down to the water and I will sift them for you there. If I say, this one shall go with you, he shall go. If I say, this one shall not go with you, he shall not go. So how do they sort it out? Basically, it's like a picture of Gideon. I found it on the internet. And you can see the people in the water, if you look carefully, in the background. Some of them kneeling down, sticking their heads in the water, lapping up the water. Others just cupping it in their hands and bringing it to their mouth. And God says, I just take the people who are picking it up and lapping it with their mouths. And uh, you know what? There are only 300 who were doing that out of the 10,000 he had left. Only 300 men did that. 
God's whittled down this army of 30, over 32,000 to 300 against hundreds of thousands of Midianites. I don't know if you've heard the explanation before. I've heard it a few times, and, and um, I read it again recently, and that's, that's really what started me thinking about this story of Gideon uh, for tonight. How, if you think about it, if you lap water, if you put your head in the water to, to actually drink, you can't see around you. You can't see what's happening. You're not alert for the enemy. If you pick it up with your hands and bring it to your mouth, you can still be alert and watching what's happening. And the story goes that, that that's, that's what God was doing. He wanted the alert people. He wanted those who were ready for the enemy. And I must admit, this time, it never occurred to me before, but this time when I read that, I thought, don't they post lookouts? Come on, he must have some now. <laughs> Surely you post lookouts while you're better drinking. If you go out to be attacked by the enemy or attack the enemy. And then I thought, and this is more important, I thought, what's God actually doing in this, this story? What's God actually trying to achieve here? Is he trying to, to make some sort of elite fighting SAS? Is he looking for the best possible people? Is he doing some sort of skills test to make sure these only got the right ones, only those who are, who are able to do the right thing at the right time and the very best people for the job? Is that what God's doing? Is that why you picked Gideon? He's the bravest, toughest, strongest leader with military know-how and spiritual giant without doubt or fear? No. No, that's not what God's doing. Later in the Bible, God said to King Zerubbabel, this is the word of the Lord to the Zerubbabel, possibly Zerubbabel, not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord Almighty. That's what was important, not the might or the power, but that it was done by his spirit. Later still, to the Apostle Paul, he says, my power is made perfect in weakness. So when you're weak, people see how great I am. And earlier to Gideon, he'd said, you have too many men for me to deliver Midian into their hands in order that Israel may not boast against me that her own strength has saved her. And he said he wanted to whittle them down. God really wanted just to get rid of people. He wanted it to be a miracle. He wanted it to be a really small number of people. I'm guessing, and it is a guess, just as much as the guess about why God chose these people, because it doesn't say in Scripture why he did it, just that he did. I'm guessing he just picked the smaller group. I think if it had been the other way around, and the um, 300 had been drinking water with their faces, knelt down with their faces in the water, and the others with the lapping had been the majority... We'd be telling stories today about how God really wants people who can get down on their knees. And that would be the spiritual message. No, God took the smaller group. And I think it's as simple as that. The point isn't about your gifts or your abilities. It's not about how clever or talented you are. It's all about how great God is. In the middle of chaos, oppression, disaster, 
In the middle of all our failings, all our wreck, stands God Almighty. His glory is shining through cracked clay jars. Our lives. Our lives are described later in the Bible as clay jars with a precious treasure inside that is God. Anyway, Gideon is really, really worried. 32,000 down to 300. But this time, without being asked, God knows what Gideon's like. He reassures him. He tells him to go down to the camp and listen, the Midianite camp. And he sneaks up with a a friend, uh, someone with him. And they've had a dream, one of the soldiers, the enemy soldiers. And the dream just reassures Gideon that God, the, the people, the enemy, are terrified of Gideon and his army. He obviously has got a bit of a reputation among them. And they're just petrified of him, him and his 300 men. Or they don't know it's 300 men now, but um, petrified of him. And they believe that God, they believe they're losers. They're already convinced. God has convinced the Midianites and all the gathered armies that they are the losers. Gideon is heartened. God knows him. He knows he needs these reassurances. He knows us. And of course, God uses Gideon, 300 men, some trumpets, some clay jars, to defeat the massed, and some um, torches too, to defeat the massed armies of the Midianites, the Amalekites, and other gathered nations. Um, I'm not going to tell you the story now. You can read it later. I hope you want to, if you haven't read it before. It's quite amazing how he does it. Gideon remains a humble man after all of that. After the victory, all the Israelites say, come on, you're a great leader. We want to make you our king. He refused. I will not rule over you, nor will my sons rule over you. The Lord will rule over you. Great battle where the Midians are defeated is actually referred to several times throughout the Bible. And throughout the Old Testament, um, it's mentioned in several places uh, in Isaiah. Um, He's talking about something he's going to do again. He says, For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressors. And another occasion where God rescues his people. And and they think back to what God did against the Midianites. And it's more than once. Several times in the Bible it talks like that in the Old Testament. Not once is Gideon's name mentioned. Not once. Not until the New Testament. And I think that's exactly how Gideon would have wanted it. Let's pray. Lord, help us to see you again afresh in our lives. Help us to see your greatness. Help us to see who you really are. That we really have nothing of worth to offer you. All that we have is a great and glorious God 
who for reasons that are totally beyond us, loves us absolutely. Loves us beyond anything we deserve. A God who can use each and any one of us to show his greatness to the world. We thank you, God, for Gideon, for someone who's quite a bit like us a lot of the time, who you used for great things, who had no real greatness in himself apart from being humble, and even when he was scared, listening and eventually doing what you asked. Help us to know that it's not that we have to overcome all our failings and foibles and before you can use us. Help us to know that if we just try and put you first, if we try and not let other things get in the way, you can do amazing things with us. We praise you for what you do. And we praise you that you personally paid the price for all our faults, all that we've done wrong, so that you can use us, so that you can pour your love upon us. We thank you for that, in Jesus' name. Amen.